Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We had a reason to show up every day and get paid, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, if I keep taking this easy money every day, maybe it's going to hurt me in the long run. Maybe the customers who are starting to call now asking how's the fishing how are y'all doing maybe i need to try to put my energy into getting those people back on the water and maybe do so sooner than the competition and and hopefully it, it pays dividends and that's what i did I, I gave up you know the easy money as did uh, captain billy and we both started fishing basically every day four months into the bp uh program that we were on and the customers just kept coming and, and they never stopped, you know, and all the other guys worked, you know, a little bit longer. Some stopped in five months, six months, seven months, but ultimately they all came back and we had the business we needed to sustain ourselves and keep on going. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website 
is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How-To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. I'm Anthony Randazzo, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. All right. Anthony, what's going on, my man? How much? Living the dream. I know. We lived the dream today. That's right. Here we are at Paradise Plus. We got your beautiful lodge behind us. We're sitting in Buras, Louisiana. Just had an awesome day with my daughter, which makes it a, a, a slam, right? You fished with me and Hayden. You fished with me and Turner. You fished with me and Hannah now. That's right. You fished with me and Rich. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all four kids. Fish with me. Yeah. yeah, all four <laughs> of my kids. You fished with me and Rich more than... More than uh, than, than uh, Hannah and Hayden and Turner, but man, what a special place this is. This is um, Venice, Louisiana, Buras, Louisiana. This place is just amazing. We love it. Glad you could be here as much as you are. I know. Well, it's not as much as it used to be. True. So to bring people up to speed, we used to uh, fish the tournaments together exactly. um, and travel all over the place. Yeah. And um, that was back in around 2005, 2004, 2003, maybe. We met in 03, I believe, in Titusville, Florida. <laughs> and from there on, we traveled around for a few years and had great experiences and all different venues across the Gulf Coast. That's right. Well, I probably learned more about redfish and red fishing from you than anybody else. You know more about redfish probably than, than anybody that I've ever fished with, and that's because you're... You're right here. Like, why wouldn't you? You're you're in the you're in the mecca. This is the redfish mecca. What you say? Thanks for the compliment. Yes, the redfish do a lot of uh, the hard work. I do the easy work. They make me look good. <laughs> yeah, well, they're there, but you have to find them. And what what's crazy about finding them here is that um, you have so many different factors that we don't necessarily have in the in the Florida Keys or anywhere else in Florida or really even in Texas when we fished over there. Just this is just a different area. What threw me for a loop was the salinity, where how you're able to not only judge like what tomorrow is going to be by the weather but also by how i mean i remember i'd find some fish tournament winning fish 100 percent. i tell you about them you're like well they're not going to be there tomorrow how, how do you know because that pond's going to be too low or that pond's going to be too high or the fresh water is going to move in now i could kind of get to the point where i could feel like okay i understand where the water level is going to be based upon the predicted tides the wind the barometric pressure maybe even yeah. but the salinity I could never really get my my arms around that like like you did. How do you how do you predict the salinity? Well, it's not a perfect science, you know. It's an educated guess at best. But we just learned from doing it over and over and over. We've we've had the luxury of fishing for 30 years here, and we watched the seasonal patterns come and go. We watched the you know differences in the river levels, you know, and not every year is the same. A long time ago, it was relatively consistent where you had a high river in the spring and a low river late summer and a low river in the fall. And then all of a sudden, 
things started deviating where we'd have high river in January and again in March and again in July and we couldn't you know wrap our heads around it but we do know there's certain things that are going to happen when we have a really high river mm -hmm. the fish are going to move further away from the river they're going to find those tiny little spots that have just the bare minimum of salinity and in turn they're going to have the bare minimum of food mm -hmm. and those fish are going to go there because it's kind of like do or die you know and they want to be shallow they don't necessarily want to be in the gulf they're going to pursue the conditions that suit their needs so that's what we do we we study their needs and mm -hmm. we try to figure out what they're thinking and, and go at it from that approach. But it, it's not always perfect. You know, there's times we go out there and we don't catch fish for six hours and we're beating on our heads trying to figure out what's going on. You know, how can we change things to make it work to our advantage? Mm -hmm. Now, when we were fishing the tournaments, it's kind of a, a, a funny, funny, um, uh, rule set for, for some people like some people never could get their head around why aren't you just going for the one biggest fish or why are you going for this and, and there was a slot limit of eight, 18 to, to 27 inches so we were looking for the biggest fattest heaviest 27 inch fish that you could possibly find now that fish is going to be much heavier here in Louisiana than it's going to be in Florida and as we found in Texas these are the biggest heaviest fattest fish going now as it comes to finding those those big heavy slot fish that was something that you were also good at about knowing where a certain size fish was going to be and knowing okay well those are all going to be small fish over there or mm -hmm. if we go out there they are all going to be too big sure so how do you how did you do that is that is that i mean and i i, I did it too but i you know we did it kind of together but it, it we're following your lead in in louisiana for sure sure so what's what's the idea there like how can you F figure out where that that fish is consistently a couple of variables come into play when we're looking for those tournament size fish it's, it's a lot of strategy but for one you know if you go and you fish an area or multiple areas and you're catching all 25 inch fish and occasionally a 27 inch fish you're probably not going to find that real heavy fish mm -hmm. but if you're fishing areas that you're catching all 29 30 inch fish and occasionally a 27 inch fish that 27 inch fish is likely going to be heavier than the 27 inch fish schooled up with the smaller class so we tried to figure out the classes of fish and what they were doing and you know sometimes it, it really just boiled down to the annual spawns of the the redfish here if if we knew you know there's going to be a, a big push of fish coming in in march then we're going to go look and <laughs> spots close to where those bigger fish are supposed right, to be right. and same thing in august you know there's just a lot of big fish here in august so we're going to try to fish close to them but then there's times where you know you just got to go find some place that's secluded that's <laughs> got all the right ingredients you yeah. know good marsh grass and a variety of food but the the one food that seemed to put the most weight on the fish every time was the menhaden mm -hmm. so if we knew where menhaden were we'd always try to fish near them. And yeah. they generally come in here pretty heavy in September and October. So you automatically stop figuring, you know, I'm going to go fish some ponds with some crabs and maybe a few mullet and snails. I'm going to go fish Menhaden waters, you know, mostly, you know, pockets of uh, saltwater close to the coast where those Menhaden are moving in mm -hmm. and try to 
find those fish that are just gorging themselves with these menhaden because that's like pure protein right. puts the weight on instantly and they're going to stay with those menhaden for they the do. most part yes but the menhaden just like everything else it throws all the difficulty into it when you when the salinity changes when the wind changes when the water levels change they move too sure and enough then the, the redfish follow them but oh, yeah. you got every kind of habitat that a redfish lives in i think in right right out here and that's what i think makes you and and so many of the of the louisiana guys when we were fishing the those tournaments the louisiana guys were right up there you know and and the only place that maybe anybody struggled would maybe be florida but you you did well in in all 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 of the states well you know certainly with little help from guys like you um, saying you know you need to focus on this more so than that and yeah you know i spent a lot of days in uh, 05 fishing in rich's boat and just you know watching him figure out where we needed to be and what we needed to be throwing opened up my eyes and learned I learned so much you know that I wouldn't have learned otherwise mm -hmm. yeah well it's a it's definitely different it's 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 very different the the fishing that we do in in the Florida Keys Flamingo Everglades is definitely very different than up here mostly these fish eat really 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 well, <laughs> well they, they do they need to eat to grow and I guess you know it's just part of it there's a lot of fish and they're they're all competing for food so they they do eat but we do have the the luxury of having not so clear water mm -hmm. some some anglers really like the clear water and want to see the fish and cast to the fish which is great I love to do it too but it's a seasonal event here Whereas more often than not, we've got stained to muddy water. And mm -hmm. the fish are in it. You just have to fish them and, and they'll cooperate. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get back in the ponds and stuff, you you can see water clear enough to see the fish and, and sight fish. And, and some of it, if, depending on the weather and the wind and how much settle, it settles out, you can see pretty clearly. But you can oh, certainly yes. see good enough to, to see the fish right and, and you're doing that too i mean you're doing all of this different types of fishing sure yeah that's one of my favorite is being able to see them like that because the way that these fish eat here is i mean they attack it it's it's pretty awesome so when did you when did you um get this lodge and well like bring me up to speed like i, I know you your your background is is bass fishing you, you wanted to be a competitive bass fisherman you sure. ended up being a an incredibly successful competitive red fisherman but but how did it start for you how did you how did you end up as a as a professional guide and lodge owner well being young and naive and not knowing <laughs> how the how the wide world of professional bass fishing worked i just found myself drawn towards the saltwater guiding aspect because I knew I'd get a paycheck on a regular basis, mm -hmm. whereas it seemed as if if I were a full-time bass guy, uh, bass pro, I would be paying entry fees and hopefully winning tournament purses and living off of that. I didn't understand the marketing side of the business back then, and I thought, you know, that's a big gamble. Why gamble when I could just go fishing, do what I know how to do, and people mm -hmm. are going to pay me, and at the end of the day, I don't have any stress. I'll just, you know, going about my business and try to book more charters so that kind of led me into that and then how old were you then well i started guiding when i was 21 okay so you know i had already competitively bass fished prior to 21 did pretty good at it and continued to do it in, in my early 20s but i was incorporating more and more of my time into saltwater guiding mm. and mostly in this area or were you yes every every bit of water from new orleans to venice mm -hmm. So where'd you grow up? Right outside of New Orleans. In Bell Chase? Marrero is the Marrero. town, yeah. So you're when you move back now, you're back in Marrero. You're, yeah. you're back in, back at home. Yeah, a couple minutes from the same house I grew up in. Really? Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's, a, that's good, man. That's good. So how does the lodge, where, when does the lodge become a part of it? 
after about 10 years of guiding, you know, I knew I needed to do something just a little bit different to generate more income and hopefully, you know, grow the business. And I looked around for a few years. There were very few properties available down here that fit the bill. And I actually stumbled across this one purely by chance. And it has evolved into exactly what we dreamed of back then. Yeah. Well, it's gotten bigger now. You got, I mean, when we first came here, I don't think you had, you didn't have cabins back here. None right? whatsoever. And and uh, now you've got, what, one, two, three, four cabins plus a lodge. How many people can stay here? 30 anglers 30 at anglers a time. can mm-hmm. stay here? Sure. Really? Mm-hmm. And and so how many in the main lodge? 20. 20 in the main lodge plus mm-hmm. plus another 10 out out here. That's awesome. And then you've got, uh, I mean, it's really what, what you can't see behind us here is another uh, enclosed or not enclosed, but covered area for fish cleaning for, for all this. This is, I don't know, every time I come here, it just brings back so many memories of, of those those 2003, 4, 5 years of, I don't know, this is so much more fun, honestly, to come here and just fish. No doubt. Rather than come here and and try to compete against the best of the best in an area that you don't know. That was that was rough. That's a great start to the conversation. We're going to take a short break and get right back to the show in just a moment. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24/7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That was really... <laughs> it on all of us, it you was... know. I'm, I'm in a better place now because I just have to wake up and take people fishing every day. And granted, you know... Uh, a customer's expectations are different than a, a tournament angler's expectations, but in general, I, I feel like I can accomplish a customer's expectations 99% of the time, whereas mm-hmm. I might not accomplish my own tournament expectations half of the time. Right. <clears throat> well, your tournament expectations are to win, and, and in certain ways, like what we were doing then, when I look back on it, when people ask me about the tournament, I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't even know why we did it. It was a terrible financial uh, plan to leave paying trips in in the Florida Keys to Mm -hmm. come up here or to go to Texas in the middle of tarpon season and try to win an amount of money that you would split with somebody else, then put in your travel expenses, then all the entry fees, then everything else. And it was just a really bad idea. It was right? a, it was a awkward accounting uh, rationale. But for me, even though I wasn't here guiding, I still had guides working. Right. So I still had customers staying in the lodge. So I was I was making enough money to live on. I didn't have to win when I fished in a tournament mm-hmm. to pay my bills. So that took a level of stress off right there. And we had decent sponsors at the time, and that helped quite a bit for sure drop this drop the stress down where you know you you 
met guys on the tour who were living in their trucks and you know eating potted meat and just trying to do everything they could do right. to get to the next event and, and hopefully get a big check. Yeah. I'll tell you what was so when I look back on that, in some ways I look back on it and I'm like, whoo, that was, that was rough. And in other ways I look back on it and I'm like, man, that was when the adrenaline was at the highest when you're going to these areas and you're competing with the best, literally you're competing with the best of the best. And, and we had, at the time it started out with the IFA and then there was the ESPN Redfish Cup, and uh, so he's now getting major airtime, and it looked like this is going to really be the next big thing, and and lots of people saw that. Sure. And it brought anglers from Texas and Louisiana and Florida and everywhere coming into these tournaments, and and man, it was a very, very, very competitive field. It was. <laughs> yeah, there was talent beyond our wildest imagination, you know, and we were in the middle of the field for all practical comparisons. You know, we could fish well here, but we didn't have a, a fighting chance out of state for a couple of years. We had to go and really compound our knowledge day after day. I mean, when I went to Florida the first time, I, I didn't even have the knowledge to tie a leader to my line because I had never used a leader here. I had to learn how to tie a leader on to be competitive. We had to learn how not to see a fish and catch it when, when you don't see one. Exactly. <laughs> We're like, you can do that? You can just throw out there and just catch something? And then it turns out that that was uh, a very effective way to fish. Like, we were fishing blind, but we, we were we were so used to just seeing everything. And, and, and then, but when I look at that, it's like, those are the times where I learned the most. And that was where you had the most to learn of. If all you do is sight fish, you're a one-dimensional fisherman, and, and if you don't know how to 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 look at an area and break it into little pieces and say well these are where i think the fish are even though i can't see them there i visualize them sitting on this little edge right here sitting on this little point or doing whatever and then going over there and then trying to to catch them and when you do get that bite it's like oh okay my, my plan worked right sure. and then if it but but they're this big or they're this big and and that's not good you're looking for a Absolutely. perfect size one of our biggest advantages was you know in the early years of the the tournament scene is the guys that would come here from out of state they'd all bring small boats and they'd all go to the skinniest water they could find and they'd mm -hmm. pull around looking for fish and we're out in the deeper water blind casting catching you know a ton of fish and and having our way with the fish basically so we had a gigantic advantage over someone who came in from out of state mm -hmm. but those guys some of them would see the right fish and catch the right fish they would and they were really good at that you know and then the ladders came into the play and then everybody's getting up high and everybody's seeing stuff and wow it was it was such a such a such a wild time what what's the scene now i mean i'm i'm really not into the redfish scene anymore what is the tournament scene these days obviously there's a few few uh tournament uh circuits that are in existence today i don't fish any of them anymore but they're out there and you know if someone wanted to get into a, a one-day weekend tournament they've got stuff there for those guys there's a multi-day tournaments there's individual tournaments team tournaments uh hmm. tournaments where they're weighing fish on facebook live and not even bringing them to the scales really yeah so yeah. i guess the internet changes everything like that without a doubt um, I, I kind of like those concepts, though, you know, where there's there's no measure. And I saw one tournament had a format where if it was eight pounds, zero ounces on the scale or above, 
It was disqualified. Everything else underneath was a qualifying fish. Really? So you don't have to worry about whether or not your fish is too big or too small, touching the line or mm-hmm. not touching the line. It's it's kind of a you know a unique idea where you take that element out of it. You don't even need a way a, a fish measure slash weigh master hmm. on shore because it's all happening out on the boat. Right. Right. That's interesting. That's a that's one of the benefits of uh, of the internet and and social media and all that. There's certainly down downsides to it as well. You know, we're sitting here right by this this fire. This is the way that I envisioned the podcast to to always go. I always thought that this was like a fireside chat. Like you just sit. Like how many times do you sit out here with your clients or 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 you hang out by the fire and you're just having this some of the best conversations about whatever. Exactly. Sometimes it's about fishing. Sometimes, but you never know what the topic's going to be, and you never lo- never know what you're going to learn. We meet a very diverse group of people here, and so many are interested in, in ways that I can't even describe. <laughs> so about that, somehow I'm losing my voice. I don't know why, why I'm doing that, but um, it's it, it's going away. So if I sound like I'm going through puberty, it's it's really not that. <laughs> it's coming in pretty clear on my <clears throat> yeah, but it it does crack a little bit. I don't know. So as far as learning, like, what do you think? Um, you you've you've had so much um, ups and downs here with this. I mean, right where we're sitting at one point, we came here right after Hurricane Katrina, and this area got hit really hard and your lodge was underwater right yeah so what what was what was that like when you when you were um i mean the people in louisiana and and certainly yourself you're very resilient people here you have to be because of the the hurricanes same same with us in, in florida but but go go through that just a little bit of kind of the just what that was like man just to to have have that happen like it's yeah, it's a hard right behind us. There's, a, oh. there's the levee right and the levee's what 30 feet tall or 17 feet above 17? sea level um you're looking at some sheet piling on top of the earth and levee it's okay. kind of there for reinforcement because there's a, a huge bend in the river right here most people don't even think of uh the mississippi river as a deep river but this is the second tightest bend in the river next to the bend in downtown New Orleans. There's right behind that wall, it's 185 feet deep. 185 feet deep. Right. So they put that there for reinforcement just to kind of keep everything nice and wow. tight and in check here. But in downtown New Orleans, it's 220 feet deep. Mm-hmm. For for like one just big hole or for an extended period of time? Not very far, just one curve in the river. Mm-hmm. And you know how water runs the outside mm-hmm. of the curve and, and digs it out? Well, that's basically what happens. Here it's a, a left-hand curve mm-hmm. right behind the lodge and it's just incredibly deep right there wow wonder what lives in there big catfish <laughs> so, you know there's a i've seen that in the tennessee river where there's some some hundred foot holes i've never seen anything bigger than deeper than that but the same kind of thing happens on the tennessee river but the mississippi river is just it's just such an incredible thing like it it drains the country and it and then it pours out into the Gulf of Mexico right right here. And that's why the fishing's so incredible. Absolutely. That but, river just catalyzes a whole growth of uh, nutrients, nutrient-based forage for the fish to gorge themselves on and, and grow, you know, prolifically. All species. I mean, the mullet is one of the, the biggest items of forage here, mm-hmm. and everything eats mullet from mm-hmm. speckled trout, flounder, all the way up to bluefin 
tuna out in the Gulf of mm-hmm. Mexico. Yeah. So get let, let's go back to the Katrina situation. Sure. So when when Katrina hit, you you got out right? Yeah, we did. We were in uh, Lake Charles actually fishing a redfish tournament there. Mm-hmm. So we came home the day after the tournament, boarded up and went back to Lake Charles and rode it out right there and then ultimately went to texas and stayed with some uh, very generous competitors on the redfish cup who had places to offer yeah and then uh when how long after the storm was it till you could come back and check it out well, i was fortunate uh one of my good friends that worked at espn called me up and scheduled a flight helicopter flight from homa airport which is 50 miles west of here to here to fly over 13 days after katrina so mm-hmm. i got a good look at it but there was you know actually a high spot on the highway where we could land the helicopter and get out couldn't really come inside the lodge but at least you know we were able to get pretty close and a week later i could get here in my truck mm-hmm. and then we came not that much later to film a show correct right and um but but this was under 30 feet of water for 30 days, I think I remember you saying. At the highest point, yeah, they had some spots that had 30 feet of water, you know, right. to the, the lights on some of the street poles. Mm. Dang. That was that was a heck of a storm. But when we came in, you know, it was it seemed like absolute total devastation on land. But then as soon as we got on the water, it was like, I mean, I don't even know how to how to explain it. That I've never seen so many fish. The Mississippi River was literally full. I remember you you looked at the at the at the Lawrence depth depth finder. You, you're like, look, how, how deep do you think it is? I was like, I don't know, twenty feet? Nope, it's thirty feet, and ten feet of fish. That's right, solid. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. They were just piled in. It was the right season for them to be in, and the storm had brought in all that. Fresh salt water. I shouldn't say fresh salt water. New salt water. Lots and lots of bait and lots of game fish. All had reason to take part in the party. And it was a party for quite a while. Yeah. On the water. Yes. Not not on on land. land, (laughs) It was devastating on land, you know. But it's like any other situation. If you you get hit real hard, you either got two choices. You know, you lay down or you get up and go harder than ever. And that's what we did. And then, you know, pretty, how, how long was it before you were kind of back up and running and, and, you know, people were coming back? Well, the storm was late August of 05 and we had some temporary structures that we brought in here and powered those up in March of 06. And we were pretty much running wide open from March on through, I think it was August of 06 when this building was renovated behind us. And mm-hmm. that was a, the anniversary of the storm, basically. So one year it took to, to get this building back up and running. But thankfully, the buildings that I was able to lease were sufficient enough to house customers and cook for them and, and you know, go through the daily operations. Man, that's that's awesome. Then, then, um, then you went through the BP thing. That's right. Another <laughs> kick in the... <laughs> Kicking the teeth. Privates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so walk walk me through that. Like, I know that you were kind of um, out of commission working for the um, BP, I guess. Right. Is that yeah. who you were working for? Right. At first, you know, no one knows what's going to transpire in terms of the business at hand or 
the business of working for BP or any any of those sorts of things. So we tried to entertain the customers who had reservations, but more customers were canceling than were booking, mm-hmm. and the the reservations that were on the books were getting fewer and fewer. And it was it was pretty clear that about six weeks after the storm, we were going to be out of business if we didn't do anything. And I knew several guys who had already gone to work for BP and I started inquiring about it and talking to the guy that was running the program. And it was like, Hey, this seems like a really good deal. So we basically had a meeting. I told all the guys, they all needed to go sign up and go work for BP. And we all did. And I probably did that for about four months and it was, it was not the most fulfilling job in the world, but it, it paid extremely well. So the, Customers just kept coming and, nice. and they never stopped, you know, and all the other guides worked, you know, a little bit longer. Some stopped in five months, six months, seven months, but ultimately they all came back and we had the business we needed to sustain ourselves and keep on going. Nice. And then, I mean, now you're, you're rip roaring, right? It's unbelievable. You know, I sit back all the time and I keep thinking, you know, we've reached our peak and then lo and behold, the next year we've exceeded that. And then, then another year we exceeded, you know, coronavirus actually slowed us down the year prior to it. We had our, our best year ever got through Corona and we had a super solid fourth quarter in 2020 following Corona. People wanted to go fishing, you yeah. know, it seemed like the only thing they could do, they couldn't travel to other countries and fish or hunt. They, they couldn't do indoor activities for the most part, but here they could get out on a boat and go fishing. So we reaped the benefits of that. We had a stellar fourth quarter and then we had an unbelievable 2021 best year ever. So, you know, we're just kind of sitting here in disbelief. Like, why are we so lucky? We get to take people <laughs> fishing and, and they just keep coming. They want to go fishing and we're going to keep taking them fishing. We're going to take a quick break and get right back to the show in just a moment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, there's a couple of factors. First of all, you are really good at hospitality. You, you take good care of your customers, but then you can take as good a care of your customers as, as you want and be the best in the world at it if the fishery won't sustain it, you know, that their interest. And Such is true. this fishery here is, it's, it's really amazing. And a lot of times, you know, I've fished offshore here a bunch of times. I've fished inshore here with you, with you a bunch of times. And, and it's just, it's just an incredible, there's just so much life and it's all because of the Mississippi river and what happens. But in your opinion, like, what is it? Is it just that all the nutrients coming in and that creates this fish factory or like, what is it that makes this area have so much offshore life, inshore life, bird life, wildlife, just, it's just an incredible, I mean, it's like, it, it's literally like electric with life. Like you can just look at the, at the dock and there's just mullet everywhere and there's bass and there's everything everything everywhere you look there's like life well the river and its nutrients are a a big part of it but we've got 
an incredible amount of structure here, inshore and offshore. Granted, the, the inshore structure sometimes dwindles from wind and wave erosion, but mm -hmm. we have coastal restoration projects that are building the marsh back and trying to make it, you know, somewhat what it used to be. And those, those are a big plus. Offshore, you know, uh, there's a lot of oil and gas wells they've decommissioned and they finally started to basically make reefs out of these decommissioned rigs mm -hmm. instead of tearing them out. So you've got extra structure under the water. Some of them are cut off. Some of them are actually laid down. And these things hold a lot of fish. And then above and beyond that, you know, you've got a uh, amount of undeveloped coastline here. You know, I, I always remember we fished a tournament out of Orange Beach, Alabama, mm -hmm. and I ran east to Panama City. And there's two bays there, West Bay and East Bay. And I couldn't catch any fish in East Bay had condos all the way around it. West Bay had trees all the way around it. I could catch fish in West Bay. Hmm. And I really think that has a lot to do with it. You know, human uh, intervention seems to thwart the proliferation of fish. You know, there's obviously no jet skis here. We don't have a, a recreational area on mm -hmm. this long peninsula from New Orleans to uh, Venice. You don't see jet skis. You don't see water skis. And all these things, I think, help us in a unique way to allow the fish to just thrive. Yeah. Well, one thing that allows fish to thrive in other areas is that there is like this incredible catch and release thing going on. <clears throat> and sometimes you can go to certain marinas and you almost see no fish coming in. And if you go to Venice Marina or Cypress Cove every day, there is a record amount of fish coming in every single day. And it doesn't seem to do anything to the to the fishery i You're mean right. it doesn't seem to have any effect whatsoever you would think that if you just keep taking limit after limit after limit after limit but i mean that's what the limits are there for and there's science based on on the the limit of redfish and the limit of trout and the limit of tuna and the limit of wahoo and the limit of of uh mahi and everything that you're seeing coming across that dock but it's a lot of fish. It is. Just and the other day, uh, Tuesday this week, we probably cleaned 200 fish right here at the table. You know, mostly redfish, flounder, sheep's head. And I, I scratch my head sometimes and say, you know, this. I never would have dreamed 20 years ago we'd still be catching this many fish at, at this rate. Mm -hmm. Do you, Does anybody think about that, like as far as the 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 catch and release it, it i mean do you see any sort of a uh a, a, a move towards eh, maybe we don't need to catch a limit every single day there's been talk about reducing our speckled trout limit for a couple of years and uh probably 2020 there was or maybe 2019 there was you know a, a label put on speckled trout as being elusive and then last year thousands and thousands of trout were caught here so then you got to wonder you know is it a cycle or you know is everything okay right how do you know no one knows i mean <laughs> we can't dive in the water and see all the fish out there they do samples but I, I think the samples are skewed i don't think they have the technology to truly sample a population like that in an area as diverse as this you know even if they gave me the tools i don't know if i could go out there and, and sample effectively you know and yeah i think maybe they sample the same territory over and over instead of asking where they might want to look but at the same time you know the numbers 
are clear when you see constant social media posts by a smorgasbord of guides all up and down this highway catching fish, you know, and, and east and west of this parish as well. There's just a lot of trout that were caught in 2021. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of people come down and, I mean, I, I always think of Louisiana primarily as redfish, and but you have anglers that come here just for trout. We do. Apparently, you know, there's pretty good trout fishery all along the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. Texas and Florida stand out as the two places where I have customers come and tell me, yeah, we catch our share of trout. We might not want to target trout when we're in Louisiana. We want to go and catch those redfish that we can't catch elsewhere. And another thing that our customer base seems to really uh, request is the bigger redfish, the bull redfish, Mm. because we have such large numbers of bull redfish seasonally throughout the year that, you know, they just don't see anywhere else. Right. What is the season for the big ones? If somebody wanted to come catch the big ones, what do you, what, what seasons do you recommend? Well, I tell everyone they spawn in April and September, you know, give or take a couple of weeks. Twice a year. Twice a year. So before the spawns in March and in August, these fish are grouping up, feeding heavily and getting ready to go spawn. They're basically, you know, and, and uh, adjusting the food they need to have the energy to do what they do when they're offshore spawning. Mm-hmm. And then you've got another cycle where after they complete that September spawn, they're going to come back inshore or close to shore and feed heavily to get through winter mm-hmm. when there might not be quite as much food available for them. Mm-hmm. So we've got three times of the year that are very predictable, March, August, and November give or take a couple weeks on each of those that we know we're going to catch a lot of big fish if that's what someone wants to catch. Now, out of those three months, is August going to be the calmest month? Depends on the hurricanes. Right. But outside of tropical weather, mm-hmm. then it, it, it that's that. I mean, I, I think of it, March, you're going to get cold fronts. And when you get mm-hmm. cold fronts, I mean, we had one today and all of a sudden it was absolutely flat calm this morning. We see a front line come through and it's blown 20, yes. right? 25 mm-hmm. even. And then March is going to be a time where you're going to consistently still have some cold fronts coming through in August. There aren't going to be any cold fronts, but you're going to, you could possibly have tropical weather. Right. And then in November, you're going to start to have cold fronts again. So um, if I were to, and I don't know, and that's why I'm asking you this, but if I were to say, okay, is the most consistent time August because of that reason? Because you're right. I know what I've done with you in the past and my own experience is you're getting on that kind of outside edge to catch those, exactly. those big bulls, yes. right? And you have to have the right weather to do that. Right. It's usually hot and flat in August. So you have the option to move around. You know, you might have a couple of thunderstorms to contend with. But in general, it's hot and it's flat. So you can go where you want to go and fish where the fish want to be. Whereas in March, you got March winds, you know, the old adage, March winds bring April showers, April mm-hmm. showers bring May flowers. Well, March is a windy month more often than not. So you got to work around that a bit. And November, you get some fronts, but you also get some beautiful days. Yeah. And on those beautiful days, it, it's epic. You just, you know, can't forecast those days. You got to be here. I tell everyone, don't book one day, you know, give yourself the benefit of at least two or three days Mm because one of those days is going to be right. And you want to be here when it's right. You don't want to miss it. I remember seeing a lot of your posts is, is you, you seem to really like October as well for just outstanding fishing. It is outstanding fishing. And, you know, it's a a super popular month. You know, it's, it's always filled to occupancy a hundred percent. 
I think there's a, a lot of people who avoid that summer heat. They, they're comfortable in October. There's very few storms, tropical storms that happen in October. Usually if we get to October 1st, the, the storms just mm-hmm. kind of dwindle away. And it's pre-hunting season. Mm. So everybody's trying to fight for those October dates. Usually right. someone fishes with us in October. They book the next October before they leave here. <laughs> so what's the what's the uh, the month that is kind of the 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 outlier that not not a lot of people come and the fishing's really good. March is one of them. It's incredibly good. You know, you got keeper size fish. You've got bull reds, and you've got some trout that are going to bite in March before mm-hmm. the river starts to come up. Mm-hmm. The salinities are high, and then you've got August. You know, where everything is just kind of hot and flat. You've got some trout still biting on the outside before they start to transition into the marsh for the fall and then december is phenomenal i mean most people don't even think about december but we have some of the best fish in the year in december every year there's just a lot of fish to catch in a lot of places we've got tons of options to utilize and you get some nice weather days you might get some cold days mixed in but in general, here in southeast Louisiana, winter doesn't start until sometime in January. Yeah. You know, and the, the coldest part of it's the latter January and early February. Hmm. So those are the those are the months where you can still get time and have a reasonable chance of having a really, really good Without trip. a doubt. But you could also, I mean, the part that you, you take the good with the bad, there is the possibility you get a cold front that's blowing 35 oh, yeah. all, all day, every day. It can happen. That stinks. Know, but we generally don't go out and, and fish in 35-mile-per-hour right. winds. You know? I know. What is the cutoff for you? What do you think? I mean, you, you you have so much to hide behind. You know this area so well. But at some point, you're kind of like, hmm. what's the worst condition? About 30 miles per hour is where you kind of say, is it worth it? If you don't have a large concentration of fish that you can get to safely mm-hmm. and fish under those conditions, then you have to really start thinking about whether you want to go out. But we're, we're lucky here. I mean, in a whole calendar year, there's probably only five days of the year, excluding tropical weather, that we don't fish. Mm. And due to weather. Yes. Really. So if you were to look at the, the forecast coming up, what would be the, the condition that you would just be like, oh, no. Not, I mean, outside of a tropical mm-hmm. <laughs> hurricane coming is, is where you're going to say, oh, no. But but what would you, is there is there one where you struggle? I mean, after all this time and all the experience you have, is there a condition that you just really just, boy, that just is your Achilles heel? It's the brutal cold. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it can bunch the fish up where you could literally pull into a spot and cast in a 10 by 10 square all day long and catch all the fish you could possibly imagine. But it's the the physical aspect of enduring the cold and, you know, the, the safety factor. You know, I've had some groups here in February before where it was so cold there was sleet bridges in new orleans were shut down (laughs) guides couldn't get here the guides who were here were able to go and and fish and you know the ones that couldn't get here couldn't get here but you're out there your eyes on your uh rods are icing up yeah the old uh Teleflex steering we used to use is icing up. The power poles are icing up. And you wonder, you know, is it really worth it at that point? All you got to do is outlast your clients, though. That's true. You got to just wait until they're like, 
Cap, but, we got to go home. Right. There's, I'm freezing. There, there was some days in those conditions <laughs> where lots of redfish were caught. Yeah. You know, but there's some some days that very few were caught, or the customers just <clears> got out there and said it's not worth it. I, I'm ready to go back. Do you remember the uh, the first time? You, you said when we met in Titusville. Do you remember that tournament? It was cold. Well, we were coming up from the Keys. I had never, I had never experienced fishing for for saltwater fish in those conditions, and there was ice on the boat. And they were trying to put the logos on the on the boat when we were, yeah. You know, that was the first tournament, and the boats weren't ready, and they were trying to wrap the boats, and they were trying to put the logos on, and they wouldn't stick because it was too cold, and there was ice on the bear, on the boat. And I just remember thinking we're not going to catch anything because I mean, in the keys, when you have, it's, it's 70, it gets to 60. The fish are like, Ooh, this is terrible. Right. This is, I don't like this. Or it's 80 and it goes to 60. Yes. That's even worse. It's, like, you know, the bigger the drop, mm-hmm. the, the worse, uh, you know, for the water conditions. And so I'm thinking, man, what are we even doing? Like, we're, we're not even going to, and, and we did, we did great in that tournament. <laughs> we got second place, I think. And, and it was like, it was such a surprise to me because I just couldn't believe that the, the the redfish were that resilient and and that was that was when I started thinking, man, I got a lot to learn about all of this. <laughs> you know. Before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to take one final break. You right back? What? How has your fishing changed over over since since uh, you started in your guide career? What 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 are the biggest things that have changed for you and and why? Well, I think the most important thing is that out of all the things that have changed, the one thing that hasn't changed, I still learn something frequently on the water. Still pay attention to detail, still listen to everyone that, you know, I can talk to about fishing. I still learn something literally every single day, whether it's self-taught or or taught by someone else. What did you learn today? Today I learned that, you know, you basically uh, don't have to rush things. You can take your time, ease into it. You know, pay pay attention to the the variables. Because you got this hardcore angler that was ready to go at three thirty in the morning. Now, <laughs> we had to we had to wait this morning because uh, I did pull my daughter out of school, and she had to take an online test at eight o'clock. So all the other guys are leaving here at seven. Mm-hmm. We sit around wait until nine thirty almost and leave and then i don't know were we the big were we the big ride of the day or we or did win today did out we? of the, the five boats that went out you know but all right so tell me what else you learned today well the the spot where we fished today i'm going to confess to you right now i've never caught fish there before <laughs> i just looked at it and i thought based on the wind the water level and the tide that that would be a good place to to fish i caught fish within several hundred yards of it of course i eased in there today and i just thought this is this is what these fish need in these conditions and it worked out so and now, so in these conditions what did those fish need they needed shallow structure close to a little bit deeper water with moving water and not quite as much wave action as what was experienced up and down the coast from there. What I was looking at is windbreak. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you kind of getting out of the wind and where we were actually catching the fish, you could see just past where where you know the, there was grass we were in kind of a little not not a pond but just we were just in the middle of a big bunch of grass out there it almost looked like it was almost about to white cap in here it was almost calm that's right right and that's right. and I, I just kept looking at that and when we threw out we could throw out into the windy area never got a bite out there get it further 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 in and the mm-hmm. calmer it was 
the the more bikes we got. Sure. And essentially, what we were in was the the middle of what once was a solid round island. Mm-hmm. There's a seam in the middle of it now, but you know the the root structure still in that seam, and those fish were drawn to that in particular. Hmm. So every day you learn you you learn something. Yeah, I mean one thing the the footprint of the land here is constantly changing. Yeah, we have a lot of subsidence. We've got wind and wave erosion. Even though we have coastal restoration projects, the 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 playing field keeps getting smaller and smaller. But as it gets smaller and smaller, there's places that were once dense vegetation that are now sparse vegetation, and those fish are going to be in that sparse vegetation. They they like it. Sometimes it's hard to fish, but occasionally you can find a spot where it just works. You mm-hmm. know, you don't hang up too terribly much and, and the fish cooperate. And that's the, the biggest part of it. But, you know, the, the changes that we were talking about a little while ago, I mean, all of our tools have changed. Our, our equipment's so much better from the, the boat to the accessories on the boat to the rods and reels right. we're using, the line we're using, the hooks we're using. That That's one thing we talked about today, even all the way down to the fillet knives and the, the electric fillet knives and everything that we're that that we're using here so if you were to that was going to be one of my next questions of all the changes that we've had what change in gear or technology or whatever what has what stands out in your mind as the the thing that has made the biggest change in your in the way that you fish or how how you fish or your effectiveness or or things that you didn't do before that well, you're able to do now for me it's it's got to be the power pole because it allows me to to position my boat where i want it anytime i want it keep it there i can move five feet at a time i can move 50 feet at a time if, if that's what i desire to do but it it you know gives me the luxury of of anchoring as many times a day as i want as many spots as i want and knowing that once i anchor I'm pretty well secured. Mm-hmm. I used to use a 10-foot piece of PVC with a machined aluminum point and wedge it in the mud and tie it off to my cleat and pull it up by hand, you know, nothing but yeah. arm, leg, and back muscle every time I moved. And it it didn't do as good a job as what the power pole does, you right. know. So that has helped me considerably. I mean, that is really interesting because, you know, with that, with that deal that you just talked about you stick the you know basically a push pole or or stakeout pole in the ground now you're like man i'd really like to move up there but i don't i don't want to move that bad so let's Mm -hmm. stay here so in some ways that could be even better because you end up staying there a little bit longer and now all of a sudden something happens Mm -hmm. certainly seen that plenty of times but with a power pole you can almost like a spider like just pick up and put down pick up and put down and you can literally inch yourself into the you can make five casts nope pick up now you're now you're 10 feet closer five feet closer that's right feet closer Mm -hmm. five and then you're 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 able to stop outside of that that's interesting that that's what you that's what you pick Uh, my pvc pole was very effective but i might stick it in the ground and stick it down there as far as i could possibly reach and it pull loose mm-hmm. and I'd go right over my fish or, you know, if let's say it held and we were casting it and I wanted to go 10 feet closer. Well, when I picked it up and I went 10 feet closer, the bottom density might be mm-hmm. a little right. bit looser yep. and I stick it down and it pulls up. And then right. what do I do? You know, right. so is it always a, a gamble? What do I do? What do I not do? Whereas with the power pole, you don't even think, you know, you just push it down and it goes in the mud and you're, you're set. You're not going anywhere, especially with the twin power poles. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, 
they have incredible holding power. And that, that keeps us where we can, you know, basically position our customers 99% of the time where they can cast down wind. They don't have to really cast as hard or as accurately. They just need to throw it in the general direction of where mm-hmm. we tell them and they can have a better day of fishing. They can, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, that the, the, I think about those days when we're talking about that, there was so much evolution of fishing that happened during those redfish days, the 2002, three, four, five, those years right there. John Oliveira was right, right in this lodge. Absolutely. With, with a prototype, you know, and, and everybody's looking at this thing, like, what is that thing on the back of the boat? And it wasn't a, a year later, everybody had them. Absolutely. Everybody had them. Caught on like wildfire. First few years, first year was tough, you know, trying to get people who were not tournament fishermen interested in it, but the tournament fishermen instantly realized the benefit. Mm-hmm. But slowly but surely the guides and the the recreational fishermen started to see the benefit now you know i'd be willing to bet that 60 percent of the boats that roll off the showroom floors are equipped with power poles i think so and even double power poles that was an interesting thing for that for their businesses is that it really took off in the uh hi hannah we have a camera right there (laughs) that's fine come on and get warm come sit down and get warm um, what was interesting is um, how the bass fishing tournaments um, help power pole because the bass fishermen, right away, they put two of them on there. Yes. Like if one's good, two's better. How come we didn't think about that? Like we were, we were using them for years before the bass fishermen started to use them, and then immediately they put two on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, we need two and two bigger ones. Exactly. And then now er- almost every boat I see has them. It's, it's really incredible because of like with the with the way that you you put the power pole down and you get blown right and we were able to put the power pole down and then use the trolling motor and and kind of try to stay in the same place but it's loud and all this and then when we put two on there it's like you're now you're just barely getting blown sure. and you're staying in the same attitude as well as you know in the same area mm-hmm. but you keep the boat in the same attitude which is that was incredible what 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 do you think the second um if you were to pick a you know, two or three things. The power pole. What else? GPS guided trolling motor. Those GPS are... guided trolling motor. How do you use that? Like what what will you do in your fishing? How will you use that? When I'm fishing areas that I can't anchor with my power poles, I'm using the, yeah. the trolling motor right. to hold me in place. And it's like having a deckhand on board. You know, people people think, wow, that's an expensive trolling motor. But how much would it cost me to have a deckhand on my boat every single day to help me maintain boat position when I'm helping clients, mm-hmm. you know, rig lines and unhook fish and everything that I do. So I've got more boat control in deep water having that gps uh guided trolling motor and the remote control key fob is is you know clutch because i'm all over the boat and i still have control of that trolling motor Mm -hmm. my customers are up front fishing i'm in the back doing my job everybody's happy so that in itself has got to be the second best thing and the only reason it's not first is because that that's you know, spot lock on that trolling motor is not very effective in shallow water because it's going to turn up the bottom. Mm-hmm. Whereas I right. put the power poles down, I'm quiet, right. I'm stealthy, right. and I'm able to pursue the fish that I'm I'm targeting. Mm-hmm. That's what we found with the with the bay boat is and and learning from from coming up here mostly is that we had you know bay boats and there were boats that were similar to bay boats in the Keys, but they were ineffective and nobody wanted them because. 
they, they couldn't control where they went. So you didn't have a, tr- a bay boat without a trolling motor and without a power pole. It's not that effective of a boat, like compared exactly. to a to a polling skiff, because mm-hmm. now we can move this polling skiff wherever we want to go. But now, when you can do that with the with the bay boat, it's one thing to move it wherever you want to go, but then to be able to stop it—that's the deadly combination that really changed everything for for how we fished a bay boat. All right, third thing. You know, in in terms of the boat itself, the electronics that we use, you know, having the ability to store all of our fishing spots Mm -hmm. and think about it, you know, back in the day, I had a flasher on my boat. Now I've got (laughs) this high resolution 12 inch GPS where I can see so much information at a glance and, you know navigate from a to b in the shortest possible distance know that i'm navigating in safe waters because i I study the water when the the water's low i mark all the hazards that i can mark and i I, you know travel safe trails and you know it's just a huge tool that Mm -hmm. that makes a difference plus i mean what we saw today is you got fog and you use radar up here probably as much as anybody in any bay boat uses radar crossing the mississippi river has to be one of the most dangerous things to do on a clear day Mm -hmm. add to that i mean we were talking about today you said you said see that little boat right there it was towing a thousand feet of of dredge line yesterday in the fog it was that's scary man very much so because you know that stuff's really hard to see in the daylight much less in the fog Mm -hmm. and so you're using radar uh certain times of the year every single day yes our fog season generally begins around halloween and it it winds down right after easter it's thick it is thick that's thick you know one of the things that when i'm I'm thinking you know those are your three things the gps the trolling motor the power pole i was kind of thinking to myself i wonder what mine would be because i asked this to to a lot of people I mean, that's kind of a a question that I ask a lot on the podcast. But one of the things that I think is um, doesn't even have anything to do with what we do on the water. And that is, you know, um, the way that you can scout e-scouting like like Mm -hmm. off the water. Yeah. Um, Google Earth, um, you know, charts, aerial photos. Even even forums yeah. where people are talking and, and mm-hmm. giving information out willingly and you can you you don't even have to participate in the conversation, you can just read it. Right. And and um, you know, I remember when we were first starting to have an aerial photo. I, I saw it today. It was where, right where was it? There on the it's wall. right back there on the wall. Yes. That 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 was that aerial photo map. No doubt. And it was it was like taken on a clear day and it was beautiful. And we used to just covet that thing. Like, Oh my God. And write on it and <laughs> no draw on it and everything. I had two, I had that one and another one that I wrote all over, but just, just the ability to have that on your phone or on your electronics or Google earth at night and be like, I think I'm going to go to this area. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try this. And what are the things that I'm going to, how is this, how has it changed from Google earth to today? And how has it changed from this chart that I'm looking at to what I'm seeing on Google earth? And, you know, are there things that I need to watch out for the thing, you know, that looks like this is where I caught fish before. And now all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I see why I was catching fish there before. It's not what I thought. It's this, there's obvious current coming through there and you can see that it's deeper than the other areas around there. That's and right. I just find that, that that is a, is a game changer of, of, of monumental proportions. Oh, yeah. That's what makes you a great angler. You, you study the how and the why. Well, and you try to. Right. And Sometimes you never know. Exactly. But on my GPS, I run a dated map. 
because I want to see where the land used to be here. Mm, you do um, that on purpose. I, I do it on purpose. But I go home and study Google Earth because I want to see what's around the corner from where I was today and, and know if I can get there or not. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so just on a personal note, we're, we're about out of time and we're about out of light. Um, so some of the questions that I've been asking people also is um, if you have do you have um, non-negotiables on a daily basis? When you wake up in the morning, do you have things that are non-negotiable to you that you're going to get done no matter what happens on that day? Does anything come to mind? In terms of? In terms of anything. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, you know, absolutely give 100% every day to every customer. It's non-negotiable. You know, I'm going to work as hard as I can for, for every customer and, and make sure they're great and, you know, uh, back home, going to do my best job, be a great husband, great dad. You are. You're a good dude, man. Uh, I've always enjoyed our, our time together, and, and um, you're a good dude. You're, you're a good dad. I, got, I was glad to meet your boys today, and I say meet your boys. I met your boys a long time ago, but, uh, you know, when you haven't seen somebody in, in 15 years, they – they're two men without a doubt you know they're two men and i remember two boys um yeah so that's that's very cool i was glad to fish with your daughter you know i've seen pictures of her and never never do recall seeing her in person i, right. I know i've seen your brother your two boys and you know that's that's kind of connecting the dots putting the puzzle together yeah the funny thing is is when we were out this morning talking to billy and we and and I went in last night and I was looking at all the trophies and I'm looking and I'm like 2005 man that seems like seems like a long time ago like really thinking does. about the things that were going on then with my family in 2005 I had two little boys two in, in diapers basically and uh now they're both grown Hannah wasn't even uh, uh well 2002 she was really really a baby baby mm -hmm. and uh and in other ways, it seems like it was like a like yesterday, and it also seems like it was a whole lifetime ago. Do you? Do you? I mean, I guess we all feel like that in certain ways about about your life, but it's just so such a weird time because that was such an intense period in our lives of of fishing those tournaments and and being in that super competitive thing, and then you had all the hurricanes and you had all this this that was like a it had to be like a. <laughs> in both in all of our lives and everything that was like a a majorly intense period absolutely the i guess the the twist on it for me is i want to forget hurricane katrina yeah you know i remember sure. all those tournaments and all that that good stuff that went along with it but in the back of my mind i try to forget hurricane katrina and kind of block that out so it it changes the the uh, perspective of time for me but it, it is definitely you know a double-edged sword it seems like a million years ago and it seems like yesterday yeah yeah so what's the future hold for anthony randazzo and and paradise plus we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing and you know they say if it's not broken don't fix it so we're just gonna keep polishing it and doing what we can to make it slightly better year by year and working hard and trying to make as many people who come through here leave with a smiling face and want to come back again and tell their friends to come right well you got two two more two more smiling faces with us what are we going to do tomorrow we're going to go back out there in a little bit different area the wind's going to you know blow pretty good tonight temperature's going to cool down barometer's going to go up we're going to go look for some bigger fish you know mm. see see what hannah can tackle in uh, the the bigger realm of red fishing she's ready man we throw lures we we do what 
We're going to mix it up with a little bit of everything. Okay. Well, I like a little bit of everything. She needs a little bit of everything, too. This is like it's a new kind of fishing for her. She hasn't she hasn't done this before. And and the Louisiana fishing is far different than the Florida fishing. I mean, we, we do a lot of similar types of fishing, but you catch more fish here. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I All right. Well, well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, if anybody wants to come here, they want to experience this for themselves, what do they do? They can give us a shout. Uh, we've got a website. It's www.paradise-plus.com, and we've got a phone open pretty much all day, every day. It's 504-628-4526. You can get one of those August days or Absolutely. the December days or the, uh, or the February days with the sleet. That's right. You did a great sales job on that. You're going to have a phone is going to be ringing <laughs> off the hook for, for those sleeting, sleeting February days. I'm sure people are going to be real excited about that. <laughs> All right, Anthony, looking forward to uh, fishing tomorrow. And thanks also always for uh, your friendship and, and being such a good host. Thank you. You're All awesome, right, my man. See you. Take care. All right. That's it for today. Come back next week for another awesome guest. And we are out. See you.